Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 59th episode, and I'm here after the Canadian Grand Prix. It was the closest the competition has been to Red Bull all year, and I thought the action behind Verstappen was also fantastic. But before I get into all of that, first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, my YouTube channel, Breakbys Twitter, and TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me as well as uh, my personal Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. You can find it all there. Now, I'm actually trying a new review format today. So let's get into it and see how it goes. All right, so instead of how I've usually done things, uh, doing storylines heading into the weekend and then kind of covering all the action with uh, a chronological mindset, if you will, I'm going to try to avoid, you know, going over all the things that, you know, all of you guys, I'm assuming, watch the race at least. Um, If you don't watch qualifying and stuff, then maybe you'll miss out on a little bit of my qualifying breakdown. But that stuff is, you know, easily accessible on YouTube if you want to watch highlights and whatnot. So I feel like instead of going through all of the uh, the mundane things like, oh, you know, Sergeant Joe and whoever was eliminated in Q1 and just wasting time on that, I feel like I would focus more on the main talking points. But we'll see how it goes. I don't even know if I like this new idea yet. Um, so instead, yeah, I'm going to not do storylines heading into the weekend. And I'm going to go straight in to what happened at the Canadian Grand Prix. And that was the win for Max Verstappen and all the milestones that Red Bull hit this weekend. I feel like I have to touch on them right off the top because Max this weekend, again, from qualifying all the way to the race, absolutely dominant. Um, what Red Bull did in qualifying, getting him out at the front of the queue every time. Um, because they are the reigning world champions, they get first choice on uh, which pit box they want, either, whether it's at the front or the end. Uh, obviously, they opted to be at the end, which panned out brilliantly for them because he was first out um, in every session, I think, except for the last one, actually. But still, he was just so fast. Um, and he was, he was on the right tires at the right time. I think that was most important in Q2, which is why we saw a uh, shock leader of Alex Albon lead P2, uh, yeah, Q2, sorry. Um, But even if, you know, basically what happened to Perez, who I will get into um, in a a bit, uh, if Max wasn't on the soft at the right time, he still would have got in, similar to uh, what happened with Alonso in the Mercedes, because Max's enter time was good enough. However, Red Bull still... Uh, nailed the strategy with him so he was fine and then in q3 gets that lap in early dusts the field by over 1.2 seconds honestly i have i'll say this you know there was a lot of people talking ahead of the grand prix kind of saying oh i would welcome some rain some rain would be great you know our car goes goes well in the rain or in cold uh, conditions and whatnot and maybe it knocks red bull down a peg Honestly, I think rain um, was welcomed by Red Bull. I think especially after um, practice, which is another thing I'll be getting into, at least FP1, that is for sure. I think after, you know, the early form that they showed in practice, at least on Friday, um, they were pretty happy to get some rain in qualifying because then they can just hand the reins over of that uh, RB19 to Max Verstappen, one of the best wet wet weather drivers I've ever seen. Um, and yeah, he absolutely destroyed Perez this weekend, especially 
um, showing that in qualifying. Like it wasn't like, you know, Perez's strategy was the only reason he didn't make it into Q3. You know, his stra- uh, his pace was also just very poor. He was worse than the Mercedes and, and Alonso in the wet on, on the inters. So um, really, is Perez, like, I don't feel like he is a very good wet weather driver. Like, are any of his signature performances, and to be fair to Perez, you know, in the midfield, he has quite a few, like, famous performances of him, like, just getting random podiums and Saubers and, and whatnot. I feel like he is, like, a bit of a, a midfield menace or just, like, a honestly kind of like a legend of the midfield in a way. Maybe I'm going a little bit overboard here. But does he have any of those signature performances in the wet? Like, I don't feel like that is the case. At least I can't remember any of them. But as I said, I don't want to talk too much about Perez right now. This is more so about Max specifically and a bit of, like, overall Red Bull stuff. So looking at the race, um, this was, like I said in the in the beginning, probably the least dominant weekend for Red Bull so far. Um, Max didn't necessarily drive into the distance at all. Um, but he wasn't really challenged either, I would say. You know, during the race, you know, he dealt with that one safety car that maybe lost him two to three seconds on his final race time, which was 9.5 seconds ahead. Um, he went in for a pit stop under that safety car, and then when he had, came in for the second time, it was because he had a free stop. You know, Alonso, Hamilton, um, and the Ferraris, they had all pitted behind, so it didn't matter anymore. He, he basically had this race on easy mode. I really think that he was managing, and I think it was proven by a radio message um, from GP, Max's race engineer, to him during the race. says, there's a bit of a race going on behind you at the moment. People are pushing a lot harder than you. And I think that was definitely evident um, from Alonso's radio message where I guess he was doing a lot of lift and coast. And... Uh, not pushing as hard as he wanted to, but then he started to when Hamilton started to catch up. But I'm getting into them a little bit too much. The point is, Max was barely pushing out there, I feel like, and he still won by 9.5 seconds. And that's not even mentioning the fact that apparently in, early on in the race, he hit a bird, and he wasn't really sure of the extent of what happened there. But a graphic image of this bird was tweeted out. It was stuck in his brake duct. Now, you can only imagine that that's definitely not great for the performance of your car. It's definitely not a positive. I have not heard about um, how much lap time that really would have costed him. Um, I can't imagine. I don't even know if it would affect performance, maybe just like some cooling. Um, but I guess brake cooling would affect your performance, so I guess I can't really say that. But anyway, I haven't heard about anything affecting his race. I know a lot of people are still putting out the headline like, oh, Max won by 10 seconds with a bird in his brake duct. I'm not quite sure if it actually had an effect on him. Like, you know, that piece of Alpha Tauri in his floor in Silverstone last year, like that had a massive effect in his performance. I'm not sure this one does. It sounds bad, and it very well could. I just... I. I haven't seen any report or uh, Red Bull come out and say that, you know, this definitely affected the performance of the car because, I don't know, the way they performed in the dry on Friday does show, does it kind of does seem like, you know, they were definitely still the quickest car out there, but were they the dominant force that they've been all season? I'm not sure. Plus, we've had, you know, a big upgrade from all the teams behind them. Ferrari, Mercedes, and Aston Martin have all brought huge upgrades now with Aston's coming this weekend. I'll get to them in a second. But yeah, Max still wins by 9.5 seconds. Take out that safety car. Maybe it's more like 12. Um, but then again, if uh, Alonso was pushing the whole race and you know didn't get stuck behind Lewis, then 
different story. Maybe Alonso also is a little bit closer to Max through that. So I think nine, 9.5 seconds to 10 seconds is probably fair. Um, either way, taking uh, those kind of uh, extra factors out. Um, yeah, I think this was about a 10-second victory for Red Bull. So the, it's showing the gap is closing, um, but we also don't know how hard Max was pushing at all. So uh, he extends his championship lead to 69 points over his teammate. It was Max's 41st win, equaling Ayrton Senna's tally before his 26th birthday. Senna died at 34. That's eight years, seven, eight years younger. I think Max has made his thoughts pretty clear on this. You know, he said the same thing when uh, he equaled Nicky Lauda's uh, total of 25 wins and all the other greats that he's passed along the way that he, he is definitely at 26 years old this amount of wins regardless of all that is um just pretty incredible and i imagine he is definitely set to shatter some records but anyway he he has made his thoughts known that you know there's more races nowadays it's all about when you get into that better car um and reliability is all, all, also just so much better nowadays that you know senna might have won 20 more races even by the time he was 34 if his car didn't break down. You know, I, I really don't know. I obviously, I wasn't alive when Senna was racing, so I can't say, oh, yeah, I remember the 1991 uh, British Grand Prix when Senna was leading by 22nd. Like, yeah, of course, like, I, I, don't re- I have no recollection of that. I know some, uh, some old stats, but no, I cannot go back to a race in the 90s and tell you what happened. I'm sorry. But... Anyway, yes, the, I think what Max is doing is still special. Don't get me wrong, um, but it's also aided by the fact he doesn't really have he, Senna had to contend with Prost. Imagine if Senna had a, had like a midfield driver um, with with him during those McLaren years. All those wins that he had to contend with Prost, you know, like he he probably would have won twenty, thirty more there too. So. There's a lot of things definitely going for Max Verstappen, but don't get me wrong, I'm not taking anything away. He is so special, and as I said, he is racing on easy mode right now. There's there's always been a, like a little bit, you know, someone's leading, oh, you never know, they could crash, they could spin, they could break down. I have full faith in both Red Bull and Max to get it home and stay ahead every single race. I'm not worried about any single possible chance of anything happening to him honestly he always talks about how his downshifts are terrible i I, that gearbox is never gonna go man like it's just it's not gonna go i think max is also so brilliant too that he's able to um diagnose some issues in the car while he's in there um and i feel like that is also part of driving that uh I think Nico Rosberg showed a lot when he was against Lewis Hamilton. When managing issues, I think Nico was just a brilliant guy, and I think Max has that as well. But anyway, Red Bull's 100th win in F1 as well. Um, The vast majority have come from, of course, Verstappen and Vettel. I don't know how many Vettel wins or how many wins Vettel actually has at Red Bull. I would say, because I think Vettel's got 53 wins. I would assume he's got the one with Toro Rosso. And then maybe like 13 with Ferrari. That actually might even be high. Maybe 10 with Ferrari. Something like that, I think. So, yeah, there's a good shot there that he's probably got about 40 wins with Red Bull, I would say. So, 
Um, actually, I think the stat is already, yeah, it would be less than 40 wins because I'm, I'm pretty sure Max already has the most wins in a Red Bull and he passed Vettel a bit ago. I want to say sometime last season. Um, anyway, these uh, milestones don't even stop there because then on top of that, Adrian Newey's 200th win um, also came, you know, uh, between Williams, McLaren, Toro Rosso, and Red Bull. He's had a hand in two centuries worth of top steps in F1 um, and not to and like him joining Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton and Alonso on the podium. How cool is that? That has to be one of the best podiums of all time. I know some people have replied with some pictures. I think uh, Fangio went on, went out on the podium with like Damon Hill, Schumacher and Senna. Maybe I, I don't remember someone put in a photo. I'm like, that is pretty sick, but yeah, either way, just an incredible podium in Canada. Awesome that it happens in my home country. And, of course, one of the guys who joined Max Verstappen on the podium was Fernando Alonso. So I want to talk about him and Aston Martin a little bit. They brought a noticeable upgrade to Montreal just after uh, my conversation with Tim Haraney asking if they were going to bounce back. And he said they have to bring an upgrade. And did they ever? Because... If you look at the differences between the cars, it's it's pretty noticeable. And uh, I think Aston has a lot of confidence in this new upgrade. You know, Fernando Alonso said that they're never not finishing on the podium again. Lawrence Stroll even called for a double podium this weekend. That, of course, did not pan out because of uh, his son. And <laughs> Alonso seemed like uh, really the only real challenge to Max in qualifying and in the race. So I would say... Mercedes was hesitant about this weekend. They didn't think that this would necessarily suit their car that well. And I think Aston Martin was really looking forward to this weekend. So there is that aspect. And they were honestly pretty close throughout the whole race, was Mercedes and Aston. So I think that has got to be almost more of a po- It's positive for both, but I think it's almost more of a positive for Mercedes. Um, either way, though, Alonso is so impressive this year. I think he's out here having the time of his life. Um, To be at his age, just, you know, I feel like, yeah, he's not contending for a championship, and don't get me wrong, he would love to do that, but he is in just a car and in a team that just appreciates the hell out of what he's doing right now in a car that he says is so fun to drive in a fight with, you know, a two great teams and like they're also like it's an underdog story too like Aston Martin in a way like they've been expected to to make a jump at some point but this jump that they've made um matching Mercedes and Ferrari already is was just unexpected so all these things not to mention like he's 40 so he's he's out there um you know he's so experienced he's been through everything he's ever been through something like this so I think this new experience for him too is just he's taking it um, by the horns, um, and his race was phenomenal. I mean, he is managing an issue apparently in the race, and he lost it at the start to Lewis. So you take that in- into account. As I said, you know, maybe he ends up closer to Max, but he still just raced phenomenally. He's so smart. I think the incident um, in the pit lane between Lewis and Fernando was was hilarious. That's what you saw Total Wolf doing his little. Um, steering wheel thing I think some people thought it was because of George Russell's crash but no it was because Lewis went out and it was questionable whether it was going to be an unsafe release there in the pits Aston had great pit stops in Canada too by the way so props to them 
But uh, when Lewis went out, Fernando, like, shaked his uh, steering wheel like that to make it look like, oh, he really had to, like, slow the car down so Lewis didn't, uh, or he didn't go into the back of Lewis. It actually was just really clever from him to make it look like it was worse than it was. So <laughs> there you go again, the wily fox, Fernando Alonso, just a genius, isn't he? But, uh, yeah, as for Lance, um, I had really high hopes for this weekend, especially when I heard there was a rumor for some rain. I thought that that would actually help him a lot. But whether it was rainy or dry, he seems to be just about a half a second off of of Aston Martin. And the field behind Red Bull is way too close to be half a second off your teammate. So I think Perez and Stroll are really showing that it's hard to, to... really determine who's in the quickest cars sometimes because if Aston Martin had two Lance Strolls, no one would be like, oh yeah, they're matching Ferrari and uh, Mercedes is there. They, we'd be like, they have a pretty decent package. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, they're, they're right up there with Alpine. They definitely made a big snap, but it's Alonso who is showing how brilliant this Aston Martin is. And it's the same with Verstappen and Red Bull. If they had two Perez's, they wouldn't even be leading the championship. Alonso would be leading the championship, and everyone would be talking about how this is like the craziest um, story ever from from Aston Martin and uh, Red Bull somehow have fallen off a cliff from last year. Of course, you know that was also in the hands of Verstappen last year. That was so dominant. But anyway, you get my point. Is that if this was just Perez, we would not be talking about one of the most dominant cars of all time. It is because. We have a Max Verstappen, one of the most dominant drivers of all time right now, in a brilliant car. That is why. So anyway, Lance, I really hope he figures this out. Tim did say that he believes he's driving really great at the moment. And yes, he did get a bit unlucky um, in qualifying there. I think uh, Aston Martin could have done a better job because they were lucky, as was Mercedes, to have both cars in Q3 with uh, them not having their drivers on the tire on the right tires at the right time. Alonso was able to get through. Lance, unfortunately, was not, but that happened to plenty of other drivers around. And, and Lewis Hamilton, who started third in the end, was very, very nearly out in Q2 as well. So I think uh, Aston, they did score more points than Mercedes. I think they definitely would have wanted more. Probably that double podium, as I said. Um, but yeah, Mercedes' weekend. Um, Lewis, I think, was was pretty happy with what they've come away with. You know, fighting Fernando. They were actually getting interviewed at the same time. There was a nice little moment between them. Also in the cool down room, <laughs> Lewis's rear end comment was definitely making the rounds uh, around Twitter. If you didn't see it. Um, he, Lewis was just watching the screen and he's like man your rear end is insane man and Fernando spoke up and he's like mine and he was like no his uh, alluding to Max he's like yours is pretty awesome though too <laughs> it was it was pretty funny and then also uh, um, Lewis getting Fernando at the start he was like yeah I just got a bitter a bit of a better reaction time than him he's getting a little old and Fernando said yeah well we'll see you in Austria two weeks from now so it's awesome to see them battling, and, and Lewis actually did say the same thing. He's like, I'm really glad to see me and Fernando going at it again. It's awesome. But, yeah, as for their entire weekend, it was a bit puzzling. Um, 
they did not like the colder temperatures at all in, in FP2. I think when they saw that it was going to be dry, I imagine that Mercedes was a lot happier with that because in the wet, I don't think they were very convincing at all, um, which is uh, just an issue with tire warm-up that they showed again last year as well. Um, so the race pace, though, uh, didn't look like they could really contend with Aston Martin this weekend. However, they uh, they were probably more even with Ferrari and with Ferrari just starting so far back that they were able to, well, Lewis was able to convert that into a P3 and with, with Paris starting behind as, as well too. And I think Russell continues to just match Lewis Hamilton. He, of course, he had that uh, off in the, uh, I don't know what turns that is. And it's the, I guess third chicane on the track because there's like four. Yeah, there's four chicanes in Canada, so it's the third chicane if you know the track. I do not know the corner numbers, so apologize for that. But I guess it's the chicane before the hairpin. Um, and Russell just went over the sausage curb, tried to get on the power, lit up the rear, and the rear smacked into the wall really hard and had a bit of a, um, you know, kind of like a it whipped the front into the into the a wall as well so i'm really surprised that russell for one crashed i don't see him as a mistake prone driver so that was kind of wild to see but then the fact that he keeps going and he was probably set for maybe a p8 finish i'm not sure he would have been able to pass alex albon the way he was defending but i don't want to get ahead of myself too much i will definitely be talking about albon shortly mercedes this weekend as I said with Aston Martin or, or whenever I brought it up, I do think that it was a positive to think that they were coming in here um, and probably going to struggle to come out with a, with a P3. Of course, they do not want the retirement from Russell, but it shows that their upgrades are working. Toto has also said that this is the first time their car is actually doing what their simulation shows because for the past year, their simulations show them like, second faster than Red Bull so that is pretty shocking so no more correlation issues there apparently as well which so some more great news for Mercedes I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do at some other tracks I know Austria has never been too friendly to them but Hungary that has always been a Mercedes track so in a couple races time um oh Silverstone too how can I skip over Silverstone apparently another big upgrade coming then so really looking forward to Silverstone really looking forward to Hungary um both of those tracks will have this brand new upgrade too. Apparently this is going to be bigger than the Monaco upgrade too. So that is crazy to think about. And I don't know how they're affording this with the cost cap. But anyway, that's another story. We could only speculate about that. I, I was As a Mercedes fan, I, I think things are looking up. Red Bull's already focused on next year. Hopefully by the end of this season, we can get some good races. And uh, all these teams can understand their car a little bit better. Yes, they might. Um, focus on their next year's car a little bit later than Red Bull, but if they understand, they're going to be able to start next year on a better foot, even though it might be a little bit behind. I think already, just based off of the uh, performance um, advantage that Red Bull has this year, they have to be favorites next year anyway. Even if Red Bull, you know, developed this car to the end, I don't think that matters too much. But with the uh, CFD penalty that Red Bull has, I think it's smart. And, and, of course, the points uh, gap that they have. They're on they're on par to win both championships right now anyway, even if they coasted. So, 
yeah, no, that, that I guess there's really nothing much to go into there. But let's talk about Ferrari because they deserve some credit. Not at all for what they did in qualifying. That was shocking. But the race was tidy work. I messaged my friends right after the race because I have a couple that are Ferrari fans. And I was like, I don't know if anyone's going to really talk about it, but this was in, in a really, really promising race from Ferrari. That's the thing. They've, they've qualified well so many times. And I feel like Ferrari fans are just people who observe the sport don't even care anymore. Like Sainz is on the front row with Max Verstappen. Cool. Like we've seen it a million times for Ferrari. They're going to um, get to the end of their stint and they're going to completely fall off the pace. And then by the end of the race, they're going to be way behind because their tire dag is just so bad. This was the exact opposite. Qualifying was terrible because of, well, the strategy in qualifying. Strategy still seems to be a bit of an issue, but the strategy in the race was good. But anyway, qualifying, yeah, just not good with the impeding. They need to really um, shore that up. And then, of course, not getting their drivers on the right tire at the right time. But looking at the positives in the race, they start in the mediums. They get good starts. They have good pace. And everyone else is pitting. And I was like, what is Ferrari doing? Why are they extending? Like, of all teams, Ferrari is going to extend. Like, they didn't pit under the safety car, which I thought was strange. I had no idea why they were extending so long because we've come to know them as having terrible, terrible pace on old tires. Yet, Mercedes, Aston, Red Bull all pit under the safety car. And they were more or less matching their pace on old tires. It was extremely impressive. Honestly, I thought the race pace and the tire dag looked so good. And it's something they've been so bad at. So this upgrade, I think there was definitely issues. Don't get me wrong. In Spain, something was wrong. They said it was a setup issue. They said they identified the problem. And then they come to Canada and honestly look fantastic. So hopefully this um, is a sign of a big turnaround at Ferrari. I actually have pretty high hopes for them in both Austria, Silverstone, Hungary. I think those could all be really good tracks for them. Um, so let's see what Ferrari can do with these next few races. I'm certainly looking forward to it. So let's go straight to Perez because I didn't really talk too much about him when I was talking about Max and Red Bull. He's missed Q3 for the third consecutive race weekend. He's done it four out of seven races and what people are calling one of the most dominant cars of all time. He was super anonymous in the race. Another one I messaged my friends and was just like, Perez is shocking. I mean, he was seven tenths down on Max, lap to lap at times. He's barely beating Alonso in the driver's championship at the moment. Like everything is just, what has happened to him? At the beginning of the year, you know, before the year even started, actually going even further back when I had the interview with Darnell. Darnell is a Checo fan and he believed that he could, you know, contend with Max a little bit better this year, having the, you know, year under his belt with the new regs. Um, coming into the year, he always starts well. And I said, yeah, he does always start well, but then he's going to have that inevitable slump and Max in the middle of the year and all those traditional tracks is going to just absolutely slap him up. And that seems... That seems to be exactly what's going on here, but I didn't envision the amount of mistakes that he's made. I I can't believe, you know, the Q1 um, crash in Monaco, like that was insane. And then we have just such bad pace right now. I can't believe the 
you know, the, he goes off into the gravel in Spain, like everything. I don't know what is going on with him at the moment. I feel like he's not doing anything well at the moment. Like, it's just, it's really, really bad. Um, and he really needs to figure it out because at this rate, I know Red Bull doesn't have to worry about a constructors or anything because their car is just that good. But man, like he's not young. And if you have a chance to grab a driver like a Lando or something or just a good young driver, you know, he's not going to challenge Max anyway. Why, why pay for Perez? Maybe you can get someone a little cheaper. Maybe you can get someone. I, I, I really don't know. But Perez has, has <laughs> he's been shocking the past three races, I guess. That's really all I have to say. I have to just go into him a little bit because um or maybe I just need to be a little negative before I I go a little positive because I think now maybe is the best time to talk about a former teammate of Max Verstappen and that's Alex Albon Williams what a weekend from them I mean it's only scoring with one car but a P7 is that's legit six points is a huge haul for someone in the midfield like that is incredible um you know an upgrade package only on Albon's car so for those ripping into Sargent I mean the guy literally yes he didn't have a great qualifying of course but he doesn't have the upgrade he literally uh, he didn't crash the car he had an issue on his car that he couldn't that's not his fault so how about we chill it on the Sargent talk at least this weekend let's see what he can do with this Williams upgrade because I feel like Sargent was actually decent in, in, uh, at the Middle Eastern tracks at the beginning of the year and then went to Australia and whatnot and I feel like Australia was really bad Miami was horrendous um, and then he didn't do anything but I feel like these past few few weeks the Williams has been kind of I don't want to say by far but a, 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 a last or a tenth fastest car like by a good margin so Albon is great where he can make a bad car look good at times where Sargent is still learning. He's in the slowest car. I'm not trying to fully say that he, you know, uh, deserves his spot right now, but we need to chill out a little bit. It's still only seven races into the season. He's in the slowest car on the grid. Let's see if Williams can be like the eighth fastest car. Can Sargent just put together some like decent, like P14s and stuff like the midfield is so close and and drivers are going to make a huge difference um with 10 cars always like the 10 should be alpine and then the top four like every time those should be who's in the points and then there's still the the mclarens to deal with and there's still um Haas if they qualify really well there's still bottas if he has a good weekend there's still um you know sonoda who's driving really well the drivers can make a difference when the cars are that tight um he just needs to put whole weekends together, be consistent, and maybe try and grab some like P15s and P14s. I know that sounds like nothing special at all, but I think he needs to get out of this finishing in the bottom three. That is not a good look. So anyway, Williams, I will get into them a little bit more in a bit. Um, so I don't want to ruin that talking point too early. So I'll just quickly mention Lando his penalty he did finish in the points on track and he was getting really aggressive at the end I actually loved how feisty Lando was uh on the last few laps there in that 
three four car battle behind Alex Albon. Well, that was brilliant stuff, I must say. Uh, definitely made for an exciting end to the race. But uh, I didn't quite see what he did for his penalty. But he was behind Piastri during the safety car. They wanted to double stack, and but they were right next to each other, right on track. So Lando tried to back the pack up a little bit so Piastri could get in and out of the pits so he could come in and not lose out. It's something that's been done a million times, but they decided to penalize him for unsportsmanlike behavior. A lot of jokes made about that because uh, I I loved Ted's comment the most. He was just like, yeah, well, Schumacher also had unsportsmanlike behavior when he crashed into Damon Hill in 1994 in Adelaide. Um, If you don't know uh, what happened there, basically the race was going down to the last uh, Sorry, the championship was going down to the last race and... It was a situation basically with with Abu Dhabi 21. If Max just crashed into Lewis, Max would have won the championship because on countback, he had the more wins. It was the same thing here. Hill had to finish ahead of Schumacher. That was it. If they both finished out of the points, Schumacher was champion. So Hill was sending one. Um, where Was Hill on the inside or the outside? I think... I think Schumacher was on the outside. So I think Hill was sent one up the inside on a right-hand corner. Schumacher just turned in. Um, Schumacher went immediately out of the race. Hill continued, but then they found out that he had suspension damage, so he had to retire, and that was it. That was champion, his the first championship. Yeah, 94, that was the first championship for, uh, for Michael Schumacher. So that's the story there. Hilarious comment from Ted as... Uh, he usually does bring up, but anyway, point is, unsportsmanlike behavior is extremely vague, and uh, doing what he did is maybe uh, a little bit unsporting, but it's something that's been done a million times. I know Verstappen complained about it, actually, uh, when it was 1-2 Mercedes and Jetta in 2021, and Bottas backed up the whole pack so Lewis could get in, and then he could get in. Anyway, that's just one example that I remember. It's definitely been done a million other times, uh, and that five-second penalty was pretty harmful because it knocked him from scoring two possibly even four points because I feel like he was racing like he had nothing to lose in the end um so yeah probably probably two points though and then he dropped down actually all the way down to p13 I think so another tough bounce for McLaren fans but uh they do have some upgrades in the pipeline coming I know Tim uh was hyping up McLaren a little bit so Let's see what they can do uh, in the second half of the season. It's been a rough first half. I guess it's not even halfway. It's only seven races. So give it time, guys. Give it time. Uh, Anyway, some storylines that I do want to mention, and that is first starting, well, actually, both of them this weekend in Canada, but on track stuff, the disruption in FP1, what the hell? An absolute nightmare to start the weekend. I mean, a CCTV issue and the red flag came out, what, 10 minutes into the session with Gasly's uh, um, retirement, or not retirement, but you know what I mean, his uh, mechanical failure. And then it never starts up again. I am happy that Formula One did uh, honor um, the fan. Like, you know, some fans go to just watch Friday because for whatever reason, that's the only thing they can afford. That's the only thing they have time to go to. Formula One is so freaking expensive. So for someone to go and watch just a Friday because they just want to be uh, around the paddock, around the track, seeing the cars, and then they don't. They see 10 minutes of, of lap time, a couple laps. Um, I'm happy that they gave an extra 30 minutes to FB2, but I still feel like 
that is so shitty. Like, I don't know, because I've never been to a race. Do people actually, you know, they go there for FP1, and then if there's no uh, feeder series, like there was no F2 or F3 here this weekend, if there's no feeder series, do they stay at the track and wait the couple hours? Or do they leave and come back? I, I actually don't know. So that is a long, long time just to wait for some... Uh, for some actual competitive, not even competitive running, some actual running on the track, and then not to mention the last little bit, is absolutely soaking wet. So a tough one for Canadian uh, Formula One fans, I guess, on Friday. It's just such a strange thing to think about, like CCTV being the issue, but that is a legit security concern, so I, I understand. And then speaking of which... The qualifying, the impeding, I've touched on this a little bit, but my God, this was one of the worst weekends I've ever seen for that. Um, Carlos did get uh, a penalty for impeding Gasly. I feel like Ferrari was the worst here. Uh, again, just kind of illustrating that they clearly have an issue with just communication with between the drivers and the engineers, but also with everyone, I feel like. I feel like that is also just a big problem with their strategy. Something there... Their communication is just not right. But Ferrari was not the only one doing it. Carlos had a funny quote. He said something like, I was impeded seven times in qualifying today, but you didn't see me shouting about it on the radio. And then also in the driver's parade, um, hilarious comment from Gasly. He was in the little car behind Sainz's little car. In the, I, don't, I don't know if you've seen the driver's parade before. Um, but they basically just sit on like these little cars and wave to the fans and whatever. And he was behind Carlos and Gazi was like, well, I'm getting blocked by Carlos right now. He should get another grid penalty. Hilarious stuff from Gazi there. But yeah, uh, I, I don't know if it's just um, a matter of um, talking with the drivers in one of the briefings before next races, uh, the next race, but something needs to be figured out. Maybe, maybe it was just the track too. I know Monaco is of course the hardest, for, to not impede Canada is a little tight um, pretty high speed as well so yeah maybe it's a little bit track dependent but I think there's still probably a conversation to be had with the drivers about that so anyway let's get into the results I'm going to keep that the same Max Verstappen P1 P2 was Fernando Alonso P3 Lewis Hamilton then followed by both Ferrari Charles and Carlos in that order then P6 was Sergio Perez. Disappointing race from him, as I said. Uh, P7, Albon, though. Huge points for him and the team. P8, Esteban Ocon. That's the second straight weekend he's finished there. P9, Lance Stroll. Um, and he was lucky because he passed Bottas on the final lap. And then Norris uh, got that penalty. So that was almost a P11 finish for Stroll. Um, he should have got more than P9, and I'm sure he wanted more. And then the final P10 point went to Bottas, uh, who I thought looked really strong here and much better than his uh, teammate for, for a change. The driver standings, Max Verstappen sits at 195, a healthy advantage, only seven races into the season. Sergio Perez remains in P2 at 126. Then it's Fernando Alonso with 117, only nine points behind Perez and then Lewis Hamilton sits a full P3 behind Fernando Alonso that's 15 points he's at 102 and then it's a huge gap actually with George Russell DNF and Carlos Sainz takes P5 in the championship at 68 points so he is quite a bit back behind Lewis already George Russell just behind Sainz with 65 that's a three-point gap and then it's Leclerc 
who is now 11 points behind George, still trying to catch up after this uh, series of unfortunate events he's had. Basically, Canada, Azerbaijan are the only good weekend Charles has had all year, unless I'm forgetting one. Um, and then there's Lance Stroll with 37. Think about that. Fernando Alonso has 117 points, and Lance Stroll has 37. That is an 80-point difference already. That is even worse than Perez and Verstappen. And Verstappen getting wins, you know, the higher you are, the easier it is to build a points gap to your teammates. So 80-point difference at this point of the season is shocking. It's shocking. So Stroll, please figure it out. Because the fact that you are only um, eight points ahead of an Alpine is just horrendous because Ocon, that's where he is. He's in P9 in the championship with 29 points, so pretty bad. And then, yeah, he has a 14-point advantage over Pierre Gasly, who stays in P10 after he went pointless again this weekend. He's got 15 points. So looking at the Constructors' Championship, Red Bull extends their place on top once again. They are the highest-scoring team this weekend, 321 points. Next is Mercedes with only 167. It is getting damn near close to double already. Then there's Aston Martin. They're 13 points behind Mercedes. And Ferrari a further 32 points behind Aston Martin. They're at 122. Then there's that huge gap, of course, down to Alpine. They're at 44 points. But they're pretty healthy fifth, to be honest, because McLaren is next with 17. Alfa Romeo actually does make a pass on Haas. Well, I say make a pass, but really more get clear of them because they were tied on eight points. Now Alpha's got nine. Haas has eight. And Williams right on both of their tails now with a huge six points um, from Alex Albon. They're, of course, as I said, right behind those two. One point behind Haas, two behind Alfa Romeo. And then in last by looks like to be a sizable margin now is Alfa Tari with only those two P10 finishes from Sonoda. I think they've been a bit unlucky and they could have been higher. Some things have happened to Yuki, but DeVries is not helping their case at all right now. So that's all. Let's go in to prize demise and surprise. So I think there were quite a few teams here that had a great job and drivers who had great races. Um, But I think Alex Albon and Williams have to have it here. I think this big upgrade that they brought, um, Alex was talking it up a ton. I think it obviously showed their strategy was brilliant in, in Q2 to get him into Q3. Their strategy was brilliant in the race, knowing that they have a slippery car, just getting him track position so he could defend. Alex drove brilliantly. Um, if you actually, Formula One data analysis is a great account on Twitter. And uh, he always shows this uh, little graph that it would take much too long for me to explain. But basically it shows that Albon is also one of the most consistent um, drivers of like on pace uh, this weekend. The pace of the car actually wasn't great, but he was so consistent too that there weren't enough bad laps that he uh, would have lost out on points. Just an overall great weekend from their driver and just great news from their team. So hopefully they can get those on Sargent's car. And who knows, maybe they can actually have two cars, you know, fighting in that midfield fight, grabbing points here and there. That would be so phenomenal for them. 
But uh, more on Williams in a moment because the demise, again, I have to give it to Perez. Come on, man. If it's not Perez, it's Stroll. I think that's the third consecutive weekend I've wanted to give it to one of them. Um, I guess not Stroll in, in Spain. Stroll in Spain was fine. But, yeah, Perez, three weekends in a row. I just don't know who else to give it to. I mean, Haas, maybe just because they continue to have these great qualifying. And then in the race, they're so bad. Um, DeVries, I guess, with his pretty shocking battle with Magnussen, but I didn't think he was bad enough to get the demise. I just think Perez, how anonymous he was in this race. Like, I remember looking at the Ferraris on their old tires, Perez on the hard. I'm thinking the tires have to start coming to him. And then he's actually losing time to Ferraris. It's again, he starts right next to cars that are slower than him and he's finishing behind them. It's it's just wild. I I can't believe it to like to think if Max started there, you know, he's he could be winning the race again. Um this weekend would have been a little harder with with Red Bull's pace, but still everyone knows Max probably would have been on the podium if he finished where Perez or started where Perez did. So yeah, um that's just shocking. And then the surprise I wasn't actually really surprised by too much. So let's say Nico Hulkenberg. Um, his qualifying continues to be just phenomenal this year. He is really slapping up Kevin Magnuson in uh, in qualifying pace. But I do feel like maybe Kevin takes care of his tires a little bit better because the Haas is horrible and it's always going to fall back no matter what. But it does seem that Hulkenberg does struggle with his tires a little bit more. Maybe he wants to push the car a little bit more than K-Mag does. And then he kind of pays for it. I'm not sure. But he fell out of the points so damn fast. Um, Either way, still, to put it P2, even if it was 1.2 seconds, and it was kind of a session that you could take advantage of if you were um, putting in a good lap at the right time. So, yeah, still... Uh, a P5 start, of course, because of his penalty, another one of the many impeding penalties beyond Carlos and, and Ferrari. But yeah, surprised, I guess, by Nico Hulkenberg, who continues to silence the doubters and put on arguably, you know, one of the best uh, starts to a season in qualifying. Like, he, he is qualifying that Haas car so freaking well. Now, the championship segment... I thought about actually just continuing with this fight for P2 because that is by far the most interesting um, kind of fight going on between the teams. But I thought maybe it would be an interesting thing to talk about Williams here and see, just talk about where they can finish because they're currently in P9 behind Alpha and Haas, right right behind them, as I said. You know, one point behind Haas, two points behind Alpha Romeo. Haas has had one big point scoring day in Australia with uh, the craziness that happened there and Hulkenberg just being positioned in a great spot. But uh, they don't seem to be really there at all on race pace. So unless they have some sort of big upgrade or maybe they can have a, a magical weekend in Austria like they seem to have from time to time, unless they can have these magical weekends, I don't think Haas is actually really a, a challenger for points on a you know, weekend on a race to race basis where Alfa Romeo might be at certain tracks. Either way, though, if Williams is up there and they actually grab a P7, I don't think they can really challenge McLaren. I think McLaren is too good and probably going to develop better than them. I, like Williams and Haas are always going to be 
on the back end of of development for the, in the grid, and that's always going to hurt them. But still, Albon, as I said, really talking up this upgrade package. The midfield fight is so tight. So if they're really up there now, Albon is a great driver. Maybe, just maybe, they can actually take a P7 finish. I think that's their ceiling. Their floor, though, honestly, it's probably P10. I think if you want to be nice, P9, just because I'm not sure AlphaTauri really has it in them to you know, have a magical weekend or out-develop a team so much that they're going to make up a huge gap. But the reality is Williams is definitely hindered by Sargent at the moment. But then again, AlphaTauri also hindered by DeVries. Those teams are in P9 and P10 because they only have one driver scoring points. It's just the reality. Either way, though, which way would I lean for Williams? Honestly, I think... Their target has to be P8. Well, they can always aim for higher, but I think P8 is the most realistic thing they could they could achieve. I think Alfa Romeo probably still is going to edge them the rest of the season. Um, but I think this weekend has to be promising. They have to be looking at Monza for a weekend. They can score points. And a few others where the, that straight line speed, they're going to be able to, to use it. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, really all I wanted to talk about there. We've already gone pretty long here on this Canadian Grand Prix review. I was actually planning on uh, bringing on the King of the Take Boys for this podcast. Uh, Darnell was supposed to be there for qualifying, and uh, it was going to be an interesting conversation about what it was like to be there in the city and be near the cars and whatnot, but unfortunately he did not go um, for I actually don't know why he didn't go. But anyway, I found out he didn't go, and then we decided that we would we would uh, collaborate again at, a, at another date. So, yeah, that'll do it for episode 59 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I'll be back with episode 6-0 next Monday to preview the Austrian Grand Prix. It's one of Red Bull's many home races, says Christian Horner, um, and that is definitely true. But Red Bull Ring... They will be wanting to definitely perform well there. It's the first weekend they've been there since the passing of Dietrich Mateschitz. And uh, they'll be looking for race win number 101. Goodbye.